Welcome to the Dignified People podcast, shining a light on systemic oppression and what we can do about it. This episode of Dignified People is affiliated with Summit Future Foundation, which is a Kansas City-based non-for-profit that empowers youth and young adults with developmental disabilities to achieve a meaningful life in their community. You can visit us online at summitfuturefoundation.org, or if you'd like to get social with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Summit Future Foundation. On this episode of the Dignified People podcast, I sat down with a few familiar voices, um, Cassidy Job, uh, Candace Cunningham, Colin Olnick, and two new faces, E.B. and Luke, who talk about their experience and with being self-advocates and really leading the way for change um, in different areas of their life. Um, essentially, the premise of this podcast is that, you know, these these individuals have just quite simply refused to fail. And so uh, we recorded like a little pre-show. That's the first 15 minutes of the podcast. Um, and that is really just to get you acclimated with the different voices and um, a very short overview of their story. And then we get into a panel presentation that the five of them did. And that um, panel presentation really goes more in depth to some of their experiences, um, their biggest accomplishments, their challenges. There's some there's some voices in the audience as well, and so I just really want to highlight these individuals because they are so filled with positivity and this idea that nothing will hold them back, which people, um, self advocates, people with disabilities people who don't identify as having with disabilities, their stories are empowering regardless of your background, regardless of your ability. You can refuse to fail. You can do more in your life. Do not let people tell you no. And as Colin said today, do not let people check boxes for your life. What he means is there is a standard way of doing things or a standard way that people think you should do things and do not let anyone just check off boxes on what you should do because it's the standard way. You have the ability to make your own path and you have the ability to make that path look exactly how you want it to. Things might take a little longer. Um, I think EB makes a really great point that you know sh- she just had to be patient with um, getting to her goal and I think Candace touches on that as well when it comes to her experience in college and it's all about patience and persistence and perseverance so I really hope you guys get something good out of this episode um, I think for the most part it's all really straightforward and I hope you guys enjoy so today I'm here with some panel members and I'm just gonna have everyone introduce themselves Go ahead. Uh, my name is Cassidy Jope I am the executive director of Summit Future Foundation and I am the moderator for the panel today my name is Colin Warnick. I am a member of uh, the Self-Advocacy Coalition of Kansas, and I live in Olathe, Kansas. I'm Luke. I'm from St. Louis. Um, sort of becoming a community advocate has sort of been my uh, biggest accomplishment. Um, recently got placed on the Schnucks Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Task Force. Cool. Yep. Um, 
and started a new student organization on the University of Missouri called Able Disabled Partnership. Cool. The biggest challenge for me is uh, finding those uh, partnerships and the networking Mm -hmm. thing, as well as knowing uh, uh, sort of the balance of when to sort of stand your ground, uh, whether you come at it from a heavy hitter like Mm-hmm. You got to do this, or mm-hmm. uh, hey, we're here to help, kind of mentality. Perfect. Yeah, great. All right, Candice. My name is Candice Cunningham. I'm from Lisa, Missouri, and I'm a board member of the Summer Future Foundation. <laughs> Sorry. My name is Elizabeth Borso. My friends call me EB. I'm from the Kansas City area, and I'm a board certified music therapist running an inclusive music studio. Great. All right, so now we'll go around and um, we'll do what your biggest accomplishment is and your challenge to facing that a little bit more in depth and we'll do both of those at the same time. So Cassidy, you can go ahead and start. So my biggest accomplishment, um, aside from my children and my family, (laughs) is I'm incredibly passionate about inclusion for individuals with disabilities in the community. And I think that having the opportunity to run Summit Future Foundation, which is an organization that was founded to assist individuals um, to achieve a meaningful life in their community. So that is my biggest accomplishment. And the challenges that we face as an organization are educating our community Mm -hmm. about the ability levels of people with disabilities, um, breaking down a lot of those barriers and misconceptions and building those you know, figuratively building those bridges in our community so that people are willing to open their doors and um, create opportunities for individuals that do have different ability levels. Great. Well, Colin, what would you say your biggest accomplishment is and well, what's been your biggest challenge? In well, uh, switching, um, switching jobs has been one of my biggest accomplishments to date. Mm-hmm. Um, and what are you switching from? I'm switching from working 16 years at Cinemark Movie Theater in Merriam uh-huh. to the Self-Advocacy Coalition of Kansas in Lawrence. Great. And uh, just, um, it has been one of my biggest things to do that. I guess one of the biggest challenges to that is the logistics of it all. Uh-huh. Just understanding services transport transportation is going to be a big thing thing mm-hmm. and um luckily i've had people who have been very supportive of me yeah. yeah so with transportation being a challenge what what are some of those factors of transportation that well become a challenge? it's going to be taking like learning how to take the joe and then take the can um K-10 connector from Johnson County and then going over to Independence Inc. and getting a ride with those those guys. Yeah, it's a lot. A lot of transition. Yeah. Cool. Right, Luke? So the biggest challenge Uh and... Your biggest accomplishment. Biggest accomplishment. Yeah. So my biggest challenge has been the um, networking, trying to find those networks, Mm -hmm. um, people that can help in sort of the mission. Um, 
because uh, particularly with the new student club at UMSOL, yeah. um, we kept hitting a lot of the glass ceiling type mm. things mm-hmm. yeah. because we didn't know who the point people or the key decision makers were sure. on campus for different things such as facilities or IT or student affairs. And so we had all these ideas, but we couldn't really pinpoint who they were supposed to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we ended up sort of getting, we, were, we had all these ideas that we weren't able to really enact because we were up against that wall of the, if, if I have an issue with facilities, do I talk to this person, this person, this person, this person? Mm-hmm. It also doesn't help too that in the facilities department, they have 20 different heads basically of facilities because mm-hmm. each building has a different head. Right. Right. Um, and so there, and communication and stuff between departments and stuff is very lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been one of the biggest challenges. So what are you guys working on to overcome that challenge? Um, so we actually have started to kind of overcome it a little bit more recently. Mm-hmm. Um, after sort of speaking with um, certain people on campus that sort of know sort of the leadership development kind of stuff, mm-hmm. we were like, this is what we're running into. Um, and stuff like that. I also had a few community connections that I had through Paraquad and MoDDC and some of those groups. So I had to start calling some of those people to try to figure out like solutions to kind of the stuff. Right, sure. Um, it, it, it's also very indicative of the culture at UMSL. Mm-hmm. Um, people have been trying for a club like ours for yeah. years yeah. to be unsuccessful. Um, the university would not talk about disability um, until after our club got sort of really recognized on campus um, from the diversity, equity, and inclusion side. Um, and so that was sort of the biggest uh, challenge. And we're, 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 we haven't really overcome it exactly yet. It's sort of a work in progress still because mm-hmm. uh, we're trying to find those. Great. Right. So what would you consider your biggest accomplishment? The biggest accomplishment I would consider would be um, the Partners Program, really, the Partners and Policy Program from 2018, Mm -hmm. which is that eight-month training program, Mm -hmm. um, getting a seat on the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Task Force for Schnucks, um, which is an advisory council um, for the grocery chain of Schnucks um, for diversity, equity, and inclusion issues in the community. and um, the new student club on campus to sort of really create that sort of community organizing Mm -hmm. and get sort of that ground level grassroots kind of methods on the uh, started and in place to be able to really sort of tackle a lot of the issues that we're facing. All right, Candace, what would you say your biggest accomplishment is and what challenges have you faced? Um, my biggest accomplishment is graduating last May from college with my bachelor's degree. Um, the challenges I have faced is not knowing if I'm going to graduate. <laughs> it took me longer than four years, which they should change that expectation. but. Mm-hmm. There were some classes like math and biology I had to take mm-hmm. over, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but I finally got the degree in May of 2018, I guess. Yeah, and um, 
Now I participated in the Lynn program mm -hmm. and got to meet up with Cassidy. So I'm making connections. Yeah. And being on the Summer Future Foundation board and helping younger people to see that they can. Mm -hmm. It might take a while, but don't give up. You can do it. Yeah. All right, EB, what would you consider your biggest accomplishment and what challenges have you faced? I would say one of my biggest accomplishments has been becoming a homeowner. And there were a lot of challenges. There was challenges with finances. There are, are still a lot of new skills I'm learning. Mm -hmm. And also another challenge is getting used to a, a different routine and a different kind of life just sure. because... When you grow up and you live at home for such a long time, mm -hmm. not seeing family every day is very different. It's sure. been a challenge to get used to. So what kind of strategies do you use to overcome these challenges? Uh, in terms of the financial challenges, it was just being patient. And because mm -hmm. I'm a single person and because I'm self-employed, mm -hmm. showing banks that I was capable of paying towards a loan it took more time to build up the all the papers I needed for that sure and the new skills I my mom shows me a lot of stuff yeah. and I, <laughs> a lot of trial and error yeah. <laughs> and skills I, cool. I wouldn't say I have kitchen skills yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um the for the last challenge of just living away from home. Mm -hmm. I, th I think what I've done is build a routine where I'm, I slowly, I, I started staying at my house like one or two days a week. Mm -hmm. And then I built in a third and a fourth. And I'm up to five. Oh, nice. So I'm still home two cool. nights a week with my mom and my brother. Um, and I build in times where I go see them. Mm -hmm. But just not saying, okay, I, I have this house so I have to live there all the time. Mm -hmm. Being willing to do things a different way has mm -hmm. enabled me to be successful. Oh, I love it. All right, so I know you guys are going to go a lot more in-depth on these issues during your panel session, but um, really high level, why is it so important that we talk about these accomplishments and share this with your peers and just other people that are here? So one thing that Summit Future Foundation really focuses on is building societal awareness. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to show ability is representation mm -hmm. and that's why giving self-advocates the microphone mm -hmm. to talk about the things that they've accomplished and yes they've had challenges yes they've had to do things differently than maybe other individuals may have had to do them um, so it's important for not only society to see that but also for other self-advocates to see that because that instills a hope and a you know what if that person can do it then so can I mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. great Colin what's your perspective well um I just feel that we need to show people that they can do these things, that it's not impossible, that there is support out there, and that if you put your mind to it, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. The, the reason why I sort of do the things that I do and have sort of become a community um, organizer and stuff um, is cause, because of the fact that I'm high-functioning, mm -hmm. awesome, people often go, Oh, you don't look disabled, but you are, um, because they don't see it. Mm -hmm. It's not one of those obvious ones like a physical disability or a mobility impairment or someone that's blind. Mm -hmm. um, it's more psychological in nature, so they don't see it. Um, and so while I recognize that 
hey, I'm a little bit higher functioning. There's also this big problem with the um, normalization mm-hmm. of, oh, if you're not normal, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Um, and so there's this big push to try to like blend in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recognize that that should not be the case and that we really have to get sort of this big societal change of um, to be able to get those curb cuts and those um, tactile payments mm-hmm. and those disability modifications into society so that people can actually function in society the way that they should be able to um, without the whole normalization mentality. Great. Love it. All right, Candace, what's your perspective? Why do we need to highlight these accomplishments for everyone else in society to see? So they can see that, yes, we have a disability, quote-unquote, but we can do whatever anyone else can do. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't look down upon me or don't baby me because I do have a physical disability. I could do whatever you want me to do. Just let me know when you want it done, and I'll do it. And to know that we don't want nobody, we don't want the government to take care of us. We want to take care of our own self. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. All right, E.B., why do we need to highlight these accomplishments for the rest of society or people with disabilities um, to see? You know, there's... When you grow up, a lot of times you think of there's a traditional life path. Mm -hmm. People go to school, they go to college, they get married, they have a family, and that's their life, right? Mm -hmm. And there's work somewhere in there, too, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that everybody's got their own idea of what they want. And it's okay if your idea doesn't look like somebody else's. And it's okay if your idea is like someone else's and you take a different path to get there. So I think highlighting all the different ways people are taking to get to whatever their path looks like in life is really important. Mm -hmm. Great. Can I say something? Yeah. I had a, a, a coach, a life coach one time tell me that these lines in your hands, they're all different from everyone. That's how we should look at ourselves. We don't, I don't look like Cassidy or Luke or Butter or Evie. I'm me. Mm-hmm. And these lines in our hand don't look like your lines. So mm-hmm. we're different. We can accomplish, accomplish things differently, but we can still do it. Definitely. Uh, hope that makes sense. Makes yeah. Sense. yeah. I love it. All right. Well, thank you guys all for sharing. And we will dive a little bit deeper into some of these topics during the panel session as well. So thank you guys. Self-advocates on how they have set goals for themselves, how they track their progress towards their goals, and ultimately how they achieved the things that they wanted in their life. Um, We have four very different perspectives here with us this afternoon. So I will let them introduce themselves. I'm Luke. Um, I currently work at the Schnucks De Pair location um, and am a student at the University of Missouri St. Louis studying public policy um, with a uh, double major in social work um, with an environmental studies minor. My name is Elizabeth Borso. My friends call me Evie. 
I'm 29, that's a prime number. I'm from the Kansas City area, and I went to school at the University of Kansas, studied music therapy. I'm a board-certified music therapist, and I run an inclusive music studio. My name is Callan. Um, I am a member of the Cell Band, Coalition of Kansas, and uh, I am I am uh, I'm living on Lake. My name is Candice Cunningham. I'm a, a on the board of the Southern Social Foundation. I graduated from UCM in 2018, and I also um, work at UNKC with the Fulfill Program. All right. So as we go through this presentation, really the goal is that everybody in this room walks away with tangible tools that they can use to apply to their own life. So whether you have goals to achieve higher education, independent living, employment in your community, one of these self-advocates will speak to that. Um, we will have time for um, you in the audience to ask our, our panelists questions towards the end of the presentation. So we do really want this to be conversational, and um, I know that this is a big room, but please do not feel like uh, you can't speak up, because we want to hear from you just as much as we want you to hear from our panelists. So to give you a little bit of background information on myself, I am a parent advocate. I do have two children who are on the autism spectrum. My boys are 14 and 13, and I am incredibly passionate about inclusion for individuals with developmental differences. That passion comes from our experiences as a family being told that because my children's disability, we don't belong in our community. We've been asked to leave places. We have been um, kicked out of social groups and just really a wide variety of negative experiences that created a passion for me to educate our community about the importance of inclusion. And through various um, efforts, I've had the opportunity to work with all four of these individuals um, at a personal level and really watch them accomplish some great things, and I think that they're a wonderful representation of that anybody can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. So we will go ahead and get started with Luke. Um, each panelist is gonna share their biggest accomplishment, or what they perceive as their biggest accomplishment. We're gonna talk about um, what that accomplishment is, challenges that they faced to achieve that accomplishment, and then we'll circle back and we'll talk about why it's important that we as self-advocates talk about these things. So Luke, I will. Um, let me borrow this, actually. Yep. Thank you. So, Luke, will you share with us what is your biggest accomplishment? So, my biggest accomplishment is uh, sort of becoming a community um, organizer, community advocate, um, given with my history of being on the high-functioning autism spectrum. Um, one of the things that's very common in the autism community is this idea of um, whitewashing or normalization mentality of, oh, you don't look disabled, so you can't be disabled. Um, and so that has been something that has really kind of come up. Um, I recently got placed on the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Task Force uh, for Schnucks, um, which is um, one of the advisory councils for Schnucks, um, dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. Um, last year, I did... Um, the Partners in Policymaking Program through the uh, Missouri Development and Disabilities Council. 
and which had given me a lot of the tools and stuff. I also recently started a new student club on the University of Missouri system uh, called Able Disabled Partnership, a disability uh, advocacy and inclusion club um, that is a student-run club. So it's for students by students. Will you share with us what is your biggest, what you, what you consider your biggest accomplishment? I think my biggest accomplishment, at least one of them, has been becoming a homeowner and moving into that home because it was a challenge. But my goal, what, well the goal I set was to have a place where I could run my music studio out of a home. And because of that I had to get the home. <laughs> Minor details, right? Yes. Awesome, thank you. All right, Colin, what is your biggest accomplishment, my friend? Well, uh, first of all, getting a job and then being able to maintain that job for 16 years and then transitioning to a new job. Uh, I worked at a movie theater for over 16 years and when this opportunity so I just decided to take it, and so now I'm in the process of transitioning to a self-advocacy role and such. And we're going to get into a little bit more of the specifics of that whole process. Um, Candace, yes. what's your biggest accomplishment? Um, my biggest accomplishment is... Well, I'm graduating from the University of Central Missouri with a bachelor's degree and tired of family development. Awesome. All right, so coming back to Luke, um, I know Luke from the Partners in Policy Making Program, and one thing that really stood out to me as I got to know Luke is how passionate he is about advocacy. It really, um, as you as you get to know Luke and as you get to talk to him, it really, you can just kind of see how fired up he gets. And um, so Luke, tell us where that passion comes from. Is it experiences from um, growing up or going to college? Where did, you, where did you really start to realize that that was something that you were passionate about? It sort of is a natural sort of fit kind of thing too, a lot of things, that people kind of need to figure out kind of thing what their natural fit is. Um, for me, it's it was mostly, Growing up, I was a little bit more antisocial. I couldn't, I pronounced certain words. Uh, growing up, I would, in elementary school, I was in the speech and occupational therapy type stuff. Uh, so in about fifth grade, I, I was in my first IEP meeting and stuff. So my IEP meetings were directed by me, for a lot of them, um, which is a little bit unusual to, uh, to have sort of the student with a disability really sort of dictating their own IEP. Uh, but, uh, and so it was sort of natural. And then I had uh, gotten sort of connections with other people and stuff. And so it was sort of the natural connections plus the developed sort of connection uh, to other networking opportunities and things awesome. to create partnerships for advocacy. So I have a question for the group. How many self-advocates in this room have had an opportunity to lead your own IEP or your own individual service plan meeting? Okay, 
why do you think that that has been an important part of you developing your own self-advocacy skills? Uh, because uh, it really sort of gave me an idea to really figure out, sort of with my disability stuff, what I really needed, uh, what services that are out there, uh, to help me sort of figure out, uh, hey, I need this, I need that. Uh, because uh, people aren't gonna typically advocate for people, so you have to sort of do it yourself in order to actually get the advocacy a lot of times. Um, and so having sort of the experience and sort of the early education I think really helped prepare me for the future uh, because it was an experience that sort of prepped for the long run. Awesome. And how can you give us maybe two or three specific ways that leading those meetings early on has helped you in your advocacy efforts as you've grown older? Because it sort of helped me figure out sort of the dictating what it is that I need. Sort of, it helped me sort of figure out messaging kind of stuff uh, of what, it, what I need, what I want, the services sort of stuff. Uh, and having sort of the messaging of, hey, I struggle with this, I need this to help me, uh, was really, I think, beneficial because I then can say, hey, there's a problem here, here's the solution, why don't we fix it? And so it's sort of the translational from the previous experience to the current experience. And your current experience, let's talk about the student group um, or the work that you're doing on campus. So you're going into the campus and you're identifying accessibility issues, right? Yeah. Uh, we've also hit sort of a little bit of a brick wall, uh, a glass ceiling in this, uh, because there are different key decision makers for every building on campus. There is no one facilities coordinator that, that can uh, fix the facilities issues. So each building has, has a facilities director. And under each building's facilities director, there's like four or five different other people who have a bunch of other people under them. And so if there's an issue with Clark Hall, it's a different point person than an issue with the social science building versus Woods Hall versus the Anheuser-Busch academic buildings. And so we, we identify issues and we know which buildings they're at. But there's also no communication from one building manager to the other. So Luke does a lot of problem solving. And he's really great at identifying what the issue is and then really kind of doing his own research and how do we uh, resolve that issue. But Luke is also incredibly persistent. And that is something that I believe has really led him to be such an effective advocate is he's really great at sending a very clear message about what is the change that needs to happen and providing individual specific solutions for that problem. And those two things have been key for his communication in his community. So we're gonna go to Evie and we're gonna talk about her experiences um, with home ownership. So tell us, kind of walk us through how that, you said the ultimate goal was to have a studio that you could run your inclusive uh, music program. So share with the group, why was that something that you were passionate about? How did you kind of arrive at that? Well, after college, um, I had a degree and got a board certification for music therapy, and I started going to homes and serving clients. And I realized that I spent a lot of time just driving. And so that was, I thought if I could 
reduce the drive time. If I could have people come to me, I'd have more time to help other people. So that was one big factor. I also wasn't a big fan of having to unpack and repack a car every night with different instruments for different people. So that was another thing. And uh, I also just thought, you know, it would be really nice to have a place where I could set up and then not have to do so much transport of instruments. So those were some of the big reasons I thought it would be helpful to have a, a real place. And somebody said, said well, well, why don't you just have a studio, get a, a different studio space? And I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think that's a financially feasible for me. So if I'm going to have a place, it should be a place where I can be and where also my work can be. So those were some of the really big reasons for it. Awesome. And so we're going to go to Colin. And Colin, can you share with us how you became passionate about employment? And will you do me a favor and speak to some of your early employment experiences? Early employment. Okay. <laughs> All right. So um, when I was in high school, I started transition around 2003. I, I graduated and had my commencement, then I entered the um, transition program for Shawnee Mission School District um, to transition to some type of employment and such. And I started that in high school with job coaching and I had a very, very wonderful job coach who <coughs> talked with me and worked with me and found that I, I liked possibly working at movie theaters and so we came up with the idea of me working at Cinemark. And so I got that job in high school, and I, I was doing very well at it. But when I entered the transition uh, program, uh, they give you a series of tests, and it says what your, um, what your deficits are, really. And I, I don't think they do it anymore, but uh, it basically showed your deficits, and one of them was my mobility. And they said I would have to uh, try working at a sheltered workshop. I actually worked at uh, two for two days apiece. And um, they said it was at less than minimum wage. I was like, I don't want to be doing that. I've already got a job. Why are we doing this? I don't, I don't like this. You know, and they're like, and it was just a very difficult time. And I, I was like, I would go into these sheltered workshops and just see the conditions and what it's like. And I mean, it was very dark, very, very boring, very gloomy sort of thing, and I'm like, why are we here? You know, I, I, I'm not doing this. And, and so I was like, All right, we're done. How many individuals in our audience have either worked, either work in a sheltered workshop, have worked in a sheltered workshop, or have been told that sheltered workshop is your only employment option? This is like life, life skills. They help you get a job. Yeah. Because I did my job for 35 years at Airport Marriott. Okay. Yeah. 
right, so Colin, can you um, tell us what, you spoke to some of the things that you didn't like about the conditions of the sheltered workshop. What did you like about being at the movie theater? Well, uh, yes, um, at the movie theater, I'm the second person you would see. You'd go get your ticket, you'd buy your ticket, then I'd, then you'd see me, I'd tear your ticket, and um, I would direct you to where your movie is. In fact, um, I made friends with many of the customers. I had, I had relationships with a lot of them. I had relationships with a lot of my uh, co-workers. They all like me and I I like being there. It wasn't necessarily the money, although at the beginning it was a bit about it, you know, being able to have spending and such, but because of my social security and such, it was more for socialization. I, 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 I made such good relationships with some of these yeah, I, some of these customers, uh, some of them would actually give me things. And, like, uh, I remember I had a pair of um, uh, pajama bottoms with chili peppers on them that a guy gave me um, two weeks before he died. And, like, on his deathbed, he said, make sure my friend gets his pants. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, I've got them, and I haven't worn them for just respect. And, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, stuff like that. Um, relationships are, sorry, Colin. Yeah. Um, relationships can be such a key component of community-based integration, not just employment, but having the opportunity to be an active participant in your community just like any other individual with or without a disability. Um, and I know that all four of these individuals have um, are employed in their community, go to school in their community, and that relationship component is when, when you speak to them, when you talk to them and have other conversations, that's what the motivation is, that's what drives. And I think that that want to belong and that that's a natural innate need that all of us have and that doesn't go away just because you have a disability. That's why, um, and I, I won't get off totally on a tangent here, um, but I think Colin really does a great job of articulating that one of the reasons he didn't want to be in a sheltered workshop is because he felt isolated. And yeah. the movie theater really helped him to create those connections and to get some really sweet pajama pants. Yeah. So. Ah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go to Candace. Candace, share with us why it was important for you to go to college. It was important for me to go to college because I knew that I didn't want to depend on anyone else to take care of me. So after college, I can get a job that I can hopefully be stable on. But and it's to show I actually work at a college now and doing my students going the back, but to show other young adults with disabilities that they can do, go to college. It might take a longer time than a normal time, but you can do it if you set your mind to it. Absolutely. So, how many of you in this room have something specific? You have a goal in mind, you have something that you want to achieve. 
challenges that these individuals have faced because while it's wonderful to hear them talk about the great things that they have been, been able to accomplish, it has definitely not been without obstacles that they have each individually faced. And I want to make sure that we talk about those because I don't want you to feel like that this was an easy road for them because it wasn't. So Luke, share with us some of the um, barriers or things that you spoke a little bit about, um, some of the challenges that you faced with um, your the student club. The student club. But share with me, just kind of higher level, big picture, what are some of the um, challenges that you faced in advocacy in general? So whether you're advocating for yourself or advocating for community change. Um, one of the, another one of the big challenges that I faced um, is um, sort of the discrimination tactics kind of thing as well in um, going for this. Um, what really sort of propelled me to the partners program was um, actually a couple cases of discrimination that I actually had to fight with OCR, which is the Office of Civil Rights in Kansas City, um, against the local community college, St. Louis Community College. Um, and um, one of which was at a board of trustees meeting um, when they were trying to limit free speech to two minutes. They had no exceptions for disability stuff. Um, and the other was a professor that refused to allow pen clicking, which is a way that I self-cope. Um, and so those, those were two instances. Um, it was really sort of the campus life manager at the community college. Um, she had done partners in 2017. And at the end of the partners program, they asked for five names uh, for the next class. She nominated me for the next partner's class, which is how I actually happened to know uh, Cassidy. Uh, but two of the other two of the other big challenges is not knowing who the key decision makers are for a lot of the decisions that are being made, or um, getting on the important committees, trying to get on them. Uh, and uh, Another really big challenge is knowing when to stand your ground versus when to, to, to come at it from more, hey, you have to do this, from, hey, we're here to help you do this kind of mentality, um, which is sort of the too, too big awesome. mentality kind of thing. Thank you, Luke. Evie, will you share with us some of your individual challenges um, as you Let's start with as you started to look um, for your own home and some of the experiences that you had in your search for your home and experiences with other people. Okay. <laughs> well, after college, well, can I back up and say a little about Absolutely, that? yeah. So when I was finishing up high school, I knew I wanted to go to the University of Kansas. It was the only place that let me be a Jayhawk. <laughs> and my IEP team was in pretty much unanimous agreement that I would not be a good fit for dorm life. They weren't sure I was capable of living in a community setting with a bunch of other people. They weren't sure I had the skills. My parents agreed. Uh, they thought that they should move up to Lawrence with me. And this was because every college kid wants to take their parents with them, right? Uh, I would have been pretty happy about that, except I knew I wanted to live on campus in the dorms. 
Um, I just logistically traveling off campus did, didn't make sense for me. I, I got lost on the way to high school and I've been there four years. <laughs> so I had a pretty big disagreement with them about that. My parents were willing to let me try living in the dorms and they said, okay, but if you need us, we'll be up there right away. So that was a big challenge. And then after, after the dorms, I, it ended up being the best decision I ever made about college, just because I, was, I had an RA I could ask questions of. I had built-in friends. I got, did you know that if you sit in the lobby of your dorm and offer free math tutoring, you make all sorts of friends? <laughs> it's just great. And so I, I really did. I felt that it was a good community for me. And then after the dorms, I moved back home because that was financially feasible. And at some point when I started thinking about doing more work and how that was going to make sense, it made sense for me to start looking for a place of my own. And so um, I ran into problems with finances because being self-employed, it's not like you can just show your pay stubs and say to a bank, hello, I'm, I'm here to look at what I would qualify for for a mortgage. They don't really, they don't treat that the same way as people who have traditional employment. So I had to meet with a bank and then I had to go back and they said work another year or two and then show me those additional tax statements and we can talk. And so I had to really just be patient about that part of it. It didn't help that I was single and looking to do my own mortgage without, you know, most people, a lot of people do that when they're married. I hear it helps. <laughs> <laughs> I was about, so being single and self-employed were two really big challenges I faced in the in the area of finances. Um, I also uh, had a, challenges in terms of my own life. You know, I've lived at home except for the dorms my whole life, and and moving away from that and doing something different was a big challenge just for me to wrap my mind around. And so once I had figured out that piece, I was looking for the right home. Um, something where I would be near others. I had the best realtor. Um, my mom helped me find this lady who spoke my language because I told her I wanted somewhere with a lobby like a dorm and I wanted an RA. And she translated that into adult speak and said, well, the best we can do is a townhouse where you're, you're near a bunch of other people and there's no real lobby, but there is a thing called a clubhouse. And so really learning a new vocabulary became very important for me. But move, like actually moving into this house, it took a process. I didn't do it right away. Uh, first off, I got a, a fixer-upper, so I really learned a lot of new skills, which was hard. Uh, but learning about how to do a thermostat, that's been probably the hardest one for me, because I don't, I don't really feel temperature. So knowing where to put the numbers so it makes it okay for everyone who comes into the house. Uh, cooking's been a challenge, but my mom's been a big help through all of that. And then the last thing I, I think in terms of wrapping my mind around it was I did it slow. We got it fixed up enough where you could put a bed in there and a couch, because I, I usually stay on the couch. But I stayed there two nights a week and then I was at home the other five and eventually moved up to three days a week there and four days at home. And four, and then so I'm up to five days a week I stay at my own house. I've got a roommate and it, it's, it's just being willing to do things your own way so that it makes sense. So I, I wanted to set myself up for success. So those are some of the challenges. And we talked um, 
in, in part of our planning process, one of the things that really stood out um, as we had those conversations um, with all of all of our panelists, but um, really in Evie's story about coming up against family members and family members that you're close to, and those individuals being the people that tell you what you what they don't think that you can do, and being willing to advocate for yourself to show them that yes, I can, and you have to let me try. And I think Evie is a great representation of that. Yes. All right, so Colin, tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you have faced in your employment ventures. Well, um, being that my, my parents, my mom, because I lived with her at the time, was concerned about my loss of benefits because I worked too much and earned too much and it's, it really was explaining to her, having to explain to her that there are other options that they've over the years modified programs to allow people to work and maintain health care and other things. Um, the one thing about my mother is um, she came from kind of a world where her first husband ran a group home for the Elks in Wichita and they ran a sheltered workshop and that's how they did things in the 70s. And really just having to explain to her how um, Medicaid works and SSI works and just trying to and just trying to explain that to her. And then also transportation was always an issue for me. And then transportation again is going to be an issue for me with this this new job and getting over that and such. So, yeah. And we're going to talk about um, how the plans, the plans to overcome those obstacles, we're going to circle back and get into some of that. So Candace, will you share with us yeah. some of the challenges that you faced <coughs> as you went through college? I was here going to college with Evie because that's stuck up my for the first 
two or three years. So I did part time. So that and that helped me. That helped me more. But it took me longer. And um, just seeing the friends that I went to high school graduate from college, and I'm still in college. That kind of uh, brought me down because it was like, oh, they they got the diploma. Why can I get it now? And my family's like, well, you have to. It. My mom always told me college is now waste. So you can um, now and at 2050. Okay, maybe not. But you know, college is not a waste. It takes time, and it's all your time, and nobody else's time to go to college. I love that. Um, so as far as obstacles, I think that the one thing that stood out to me from all four of these participants is they all faced um, discrimination at some level. They've all faced negative perceptions of individuals with disabilities, and they've all come up against um, Having to, self, have, having to advocate for themselves and believe in themselves and believe in their ability to achieve whatever it is that they set out for themselves. So tell me, Luke, what was helpful for you? What helped you in this process? What support systems, what, um, how did you overcome these obstacles as you face them? Um, you're talking about obstacles in general or the discrimination? Um, let's do obstacles in general. Okay, so in obstacles in general, um, it was sort of trying to um, figure out maybe a mentor um, or someone that could really kind of help walk me through how to really do what I needed to do. Um, so like when I was doing the partners program, uh, like saying, talking with other people and saying, these are some of the obstacles that we're hitting, how can we work around these kind of thing. And so having sort of that peer support kind of thing or the other people that are maybe with disabilities or parents of people with disabilities or that peer-to-peer -peer kind of support network. That's awesome. Evie. What was most helpful for you? I think one of the most helpful things that somebody ever did for me that has helped me throughout my life was in high school, I had to meet with this lady called Mrs. Walker. And she was a transition specialist, and she gave me, because I, I wasn't very, a very good speaker. I didn't say very many words at all, and I, but I could write. So she gave me writing assignments every week, and I had to do a lot of critical thinking around what was hard for me that wasn't hard for other people, and what I could do about it. So that's something I've taken with me beyond high school and beyond college, and, and I, I know now to look for those things. Where am I having challenges? and what can be done about them. So that was helpful. Also, I, I talk a lot with my mom. Um, she was there, my dad was also self-employed. And so learning about his experience and knowing I'm not the only one that has struggled with some of these things, that's been really, really helpful too. But then just not listening to people sometimes is really helpful. People who say, you can't do that. Sometimes it's okay to not listen to those people. And and that's that's okay. I mean, I. I resonated quite a bit with what Luke's talked about in discrimination in college, and there's just people you have to not listen to, and that's okay. Absolutely. I think that that's such an important sentiment, and I know that 
in my own life, if I had listened to everybody that told me that I couldn't do things or I didn't belong in certain places or that I didn't have skill sets to do certain things, um, having the ability to turn off that negativity and really believe in yourself. Evie, I loved what you said about really thinking about yourself and what is what is hard for you or what is difficult for you and then figuring out how to build up your own skills to overcome those things. I think that that's a great exercise and if it's not, you know, if writing isn't your thing, then that's something that you could do in conversations with your support system um, to really help bridge some of those gaps. So I love that. And Luke, speaking to having a mentor, that's such an important component um, that we, as in some future foundation that we've identified and we built into our program, but that's not something that you need a program to help you do. If you have a mentor that you can identify with, whether it's another peer or whether it's a family member or somebody that's really going to be your sounding board that you can go to to talk about these things, to bounce these things off of, that's going to be key in helping you accomplish your goals. Colin, what was most helpful for you? Well, my, my job coach, uh, Susan, um, she was very helpful and just very encouraging to keep doing what I'm doing and just keep on just being very encouraging. And then after a while, my mother really became a very good mentor to me and just really helping me uh, through things and under, under, understanding and those two people, I mean, they just, they were like rocks, you know, and such. And, and they just kept me going and they're keeping me going through this process being very encouraging. Not, they're sad that I quit the other job, but they're, they're also happy that I'm going on to something that I love and such like that. Yeah, so. Awesome. Thank you. Candace, you talked a little bit about your mom being that person for you and how she was your, your champion and your cheerleader and somebody that you knew that you could depend on. Um, can you speak to what other support systems you were able to find that maybe was outside of your family? Because we recognize that not every family, not every individual is going to have a family member that is that rock for them. And it's important to be able to establish those support systems outside of family. Um, so have you... What, can you share a little bit about that? Um, why I was in college, I was walking full time at Macy's, and um, my co-workers and some of my customers were like, "You don't belong here. We love you, but we see that you have a, a, a passion for something else. You need to finish college and do what you love to do." Because I do love Macy's, but. That's not my passion. And to have co-workers, managers, um, even customers to say they see me somewhere else, that's, that, that was really the fire under my feet to keep going. Plus my mom, but you know, to know that these people who come here probably once a week, they see that, and they don't know me from, my mom knew me since I was in her stomach, you know? <laughs> you know, but they just know me for three years, that's saying something. 
for me. And honestly, I'm um, even said, um, you don't listen to people who talk down to you. I'm the opposite. I do listen to them, and I'm going to say, okay, you told me I can't do that. I'm, I'm going to show you I can, <laughs> because I like to pull people off. So. <laughs> Thank you, Candace. So, speaking to um, kind of how do you create a structure for your for yourself? How do you how do you identify this is what I'm passionate about? This is what I want to be doing, and then how do I make sure that I get there? How many of you guys have heard of a smart goal? Okay, so it is specific or yeah, specific, measurable, obtainable, realistic, and time bound. So. When you look at those things and you think about Elizabeth saying, Evie, saying she wants to be a homeowner and how many people told her that's not a realistic goal, right? Or when you think about Candace talking about college and the normal time frame that somebody, I don't like the word normal, the typical time frame that somebody would have completed college and that wasn't realistic for Candace. She had to be able to go at her own pace. So using some of those traditional frameworks may not work for an individual that has different ability levels or that you know experiences different challenges, but establishing a framework for yourself. So being very clear of this is what I want for my life, whether it is going to school, whether it is working in your community, whether it is having your own home, having some type of relationship, whatever that thing is, own it, marry it, hold it close to you, um, and then create a structure around yourself so that you can accomplish that. Um, I'll start with Luke. What would you, what's one piece of advice that you would give to a self-advocate that really has something that they're passionate about, that they want to pursue? Um, what, what is your advice that you would give to them? My advice for them would be find, find, your, find your network, find your, find your peers, find your mentors, Get those connections, um, because without them, I would not have the club I have today. Um, because if I did not have, um, when I started the club, my writing skills, I cannot write to save my life. Um, two things that were required to create a student club are constitutions and bylaws. I was lucky that I had, was able to find people um, Group that I attended, got to know a little bit on campus. Um, one of which is actually going after his parliamentarian uh, certificate. Uh, and so I basically was like, hey, I can't do this. Let me give this to you to do. And if I hadn't done that, this club would never have gotten off the ground. So it's find your network, find your peers, find the people that do, can do things that you can't. Um, and figure out the strengths and weaknesses within a group. Uh, another advice I would give would be to uh, not let the negativity stand in your way and, and prove people wrong and just go for it. I love it. Thank you. Luke, I really like what you said about being willing to give the work away. I think that that's something that all of us, um, that can be hard to do. But establishing those support systems and the people that can help you fill in those gaps is definitely going to be crucial in you accomplishing whatever it is that you're working towards. Evie, what do we do? What's your sage advice? 
Well, one thing would be to be comfortable with the fact that your path is your own and it doesn't have to be a traditional path. But as far as getting there, I think, take small steps. It's okay that you don't do it all in a day. If you make a plan of action, you can take small steps and it seems more realistic when you have a plan and you know that you don't have to do it all at once. Some, for some people, that's like something you can hold yourself accountable to and for other people, you really do need uh, a mentor or a partner or a group, just somebody else to help you be accountable for making those small steps towards your own path. Love it. Colin, what would you tell your fellow self-advocates? Well, I'd uh, say um, just uh, with all my life, I'd just uh, put my mind to it, you know, and put your mind to it going, don't ever wave, I, I mean, and don't let people distract you from what they want your life to be to serve their purposes. That was one thing about the shelter's workshop in the school district. They were just checking, checking a box, you know. Don't let them just check boxes about your life. Do what you want, not what others want you to do. I think that's gonna be the quote of the day, Colin. Don't let other people check boxes about your life. I think that that's something that all of us can really relate to, and when we when we live so much of our life in a supported system, I think it's very easy to fall into that kind of a trap, and being the type of advocate that's going to say, I'm not willing to settle for a life that people are just checking my, you know, checking the boxes. I think that that's huge. Thank you, Colin, for sharing that. All right, Candace. You got things on the line. You got to think. He took yours. My advice is knowing that there's no typical time, no, no more time to achieve something. Um, and there's no normal way to achieve something. If everybody's going across the bridge, you can go under the bridge if it's safe. And as long as you get to the goal that you set for yourself, whether that's getting a diploma or getting a job or living in um, your own home, knowing that you did about the way you wanted to do it and not the way somebody else wanted you to do it. I love that. Thank you, Candace. So the last topic that the panel is going to discuss and then we're going to give um, the audience an opportunity to ask some questions. I want to, t um, to give them an opportunity to talk about why it is important for them to be in the position that they're in, why it's important for them to have agreed to be a panelist, why each one of these individuals um, is, a, is an advocate in their own way. I know all four of them um, in different capacities, and each of them use their voice to really lift up the community around them. And I'd like to have you guys talk about why is it important for you to share your message and to share the experiences that you've had um, and this could be the same answer that you had when we did the podcast earlier. So, so my, my uh, big reason for agreeing to do stuff like this and uh, advocate is um, you're planting the seeds for change down the road. Uh, you may not see the change that you actually are making, 
Um, many of the great leaders and politicians and people that have actually been successful at making systematic change uh, died before the change went into place. Uh, and so even if you're shooting for ambitious goals, even a small step towards that change is even a good change. I love that. Thank you, Luke. My life looks a lot different than most of my peers, and that's okay. And I want more people growing up, and more adults that are around people growing up, to see that it's okay if the, the lives of the people you care about is different than a traditional path. Different is okay, right, Evie? Great. Yes. <laughs> um, just uh, why do we share this stuff? Yeah. Why, why do you think it's important to have our okay. presentation? I think it is important so that people know about it, so that people know they can do things and they, they aren't limited. And that, you know, the box that we've been put in is not always not always the option, you know, not the only option, that there are things to do that there's life worth living, you know, sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> All right, Candace. The question is, why do you think it's important to um, share your message, share your experiences, and represent um, as a self-advocate? Tell me, no. <laughs> um, it's important because I'm just like everyone. Well, not just like the one. Time out. I have a disability. I'm, and I, what am I saying? Tell us a story about okay. that you shared about well, that. I'm sorry. No, okay. you're okay. So I had a self coach. Uh, life coach. Life coach. Um, back in, I don't know. But he told me to look at my palm, my hand, and you see all these lines? They're not like Colin, Luke, or Kathy, or Evie. They're different. And this is how everyone in this room, actually everyone in the world, we are all different because of these plants or whatever. I don't know. We are all different, and we, we can't live like... They want us to live. We can live how we can live because we all, we make a crease on these lines, on our hands, and when we all come together, we could become a whole person. Does that make sense? Yep, it makes perfect sense. Okay. One of the things that we do at Summer Future Foundation is we increase societal awareness about the ability levels of individuals that um, do have disabilities. And it's important for um, mainstream media to see that because that's the representation and that's how we change the conversation. We change the ableism mind frame by showing that we are strong, we are capable, and we have the ability to do things that may seem out of the box when we're provided support and when we have a community that is willing to open their doors to us. And all four of these individuals have been such great advocates in their community to, to create that change. So I'd like to give the audience an opportunity to ask um, our panelists questions. So who has questions? Hold on, I'm gonna bring in my microphone. Does that blue come through? 
I will respond to you about the discrimination. Uh, it's, it's a whole story, but I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, I went to a, a, a small store back in Bay City, Iowa. I'm Jeremy. Um, so I went in there with a friend, and I, I do have a, a, a disability. I walked in there, and this person didn't know how to react to someone with a disability. So, do you know how to re react to that? I, I, I don't know why I took both microphones. Didn't think what I said, but I'm getting my steps in. The biggest way that I would tell people to respond is to ask the person with a disability, how can I help and assist you? Uh, people always assume that uh, disability is a big scary word, uh, that if you don't know what type someone has, that you can't assist them. Uh, and so it's really trying to figure out how to assist and the manner best to do that. Right. I, I mean, what we did is, I mean, I didn't know that until I went back home and then it went step higher to go to the manager and so that's my question. Okay, any other questions for the panel? Um, I had a question for Colin. With your job coaching, how like did they give you different job options? Like, how long did it take for you to figure out like what kind of job you were going to do? Well, okay, I started. I was making me think. I was <laughs> sixteen when I started with my job coach, and really it was you know I said I wanted to try working at a movie theater, and she was like, okay. Um, and we just weren't finding the right one. Um, at the time I lived in Overland Park, which was relatively close to the movie theater I worked at, so that, that was easy. The problem was, interestingly enough, giving me more options, is when I got my job and I got into the transition program, and they said we have to show you these other options. It was like a requirement. They, at the time I <laughs> recognized I had a job and I wanted to go to school instead of, you know, they were like, I was like, can you help me with, you know, college? And they were like, no, we can't basically, but we can show you all these job options, and I was like, but I've got a job, so why are you talking to me? <laughs> and, and, you know, it was, it was just very confusing at the time, you know, um, and very frustrating for me just to explain to these people, I've got a job, why are we, you know, doing this, this, and this? So, really, it was my job coach who did more, more listening than anyone else to me and what my needs and desires 
where <coughs> where it was someone of her superiors that weren't like that were that didn't listen basically. So yeah. I work for a post-secondary program in Iowa, at the University of Iowa, um, and one of the things that I noticed, as you were all talking, I loved that you were very willing to um, talk about any challenges that you have and how you overcome them, but also how you seek out support. One of the things that I've noticed with some of the students that I deal with um, there's a denial of their disability, there's, they may even have an invisible disability, and they um, don't want support, or they don't even want to necessarily even associate themselves with others with disabilities. How would you address that? How would you, because unification is going to help your advocacy efforts, and how would you address that? And, and I don't care who answers this, if anybody has a good answer. sort of community a lot with the whole high functioning versus low functioning kind of mentality um, and also the normalization because of, of particularly it's more common in the invisible disabilities because of the societal push to be normal so um, it's really about changing the dialogue of the society and those groups kind of thing to say hey this is what society says but what society says is wrong. I think one thing that's really helpful is if you can get somebody to try it just once. And for me, I had an aha moment in high school. They said, you know, the, no the, the, the halls are even noisier than they were in middle school, which was, I couldn't even believe when they told me that. <laughs> and they said, you can leave class five minutes early and, and miss all that noise and then just go ahead to your next class. And I said, I don't want to do that. Nobody else is doing that. And so I did. And then I realized that... This episode of Dignified People is affiliated with Summit Future Foundation, which is a Kansas City-based non-for-profit that empowers youth and young adults with developmental disabilities to achieve a meaningful life in their community. You can visit us online at summitfuturefoundation.org, or if you'd like to get social with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Summit Future Foundation. That was the Dignified People podcast. 
Thank you for listening and tune in next time to continue to be a part of something bigger.